Bonjour, it's Valérie, and um, I have an announcement to make today. Although Street Focus has blossomed into a wonderful show uh, on street photography, um, ironically, I feel like its scope has become a little too restricted for me. So I've, I've decided to, to leave the TWIP network and start my own new show under my own name, Hit the Streets with Valérie Jardin. And um, it will be, of course, heavy on street photography because that's my love. But um, I want to cover other things too. Of course, urban photography, um, but a little bit broader than just street photography. So if you're a street photographer, there'll be, you know, you'll probably love it. But I think um, I want to I want to cover a little more. And uh, I have uh, a lot of a lot of fresh ideas and, and uh, new topics. I think it's going to be fun. And, uh, and I think change is good. So um, it's been a wonderful two years. I mean, here I am at episode 104. And uh, I can't thank my good friend, Frederick Van Johnson enough for giving me this opportunity two years ago uh, when uh, when he gave me the opportunity to to host Street Focus. Um, I don't think I could have done a podcast without that opportunity because I know how much work is involved. I feel like today I'm a little bit better equipped to launch my own show. And um, and I know that uh, at least I've gained a lot of experience in the hosting part. I'm a lot more comfortable than I was two years ago. And uh, that's something you just learn by doing. So it I, I love it so much. There is no way I could stop doing this at this point. Uh, podcasting has become part of my life. Uh, but I'm ready for a new adventure. So uh, I hope that um, you continue to um, to join me. It will still be on Thursdays, but uh, just uh, under a different, different show. And today... I have a, a special Q&A. We recorded it last week with my good friend uh, uh, Ian McDonald. It's a great show. So I decided to just go ahead and um, and give it to you this week because uh, the only thing that will be different is that they will know there will not be an announcement for the next street challenge. So uh, do not post any photographs on the comment section of episode 104, but we will give the winners of the last street challenge as well as um, our picks of the weeks and, of course, answer some of your questions. So uh, enjoy this uh, final episode as me as the host of Street Focus, and I'll see you all very soon. Ciao! Au revoir, à bientôt. Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Today is episode 104 and it's a new Q&A and Street Challenge episode. And I'm happy to have my good friend and Vancouver photographer, Ian McDonald, whom I just had the pleasure to work with uh, last month, actually. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? 
I'm good, Valerie. How are you? Good. Glad to have you on the show. I have to remind the listeners that you did the uh, Street of the World Vancouver special quite a few months ago, but uh, they're planning a visit there. They should go back and listen to that one. Definitely. And uh, and I was just in your city and uh, we hung out for a couple of days and it was quite fun. It was. The students were excellent yeah. and I was really impressed with the work they created. Yes, it was it was really fun. I had asked Ian to uh, be my local guide on my um, Vancouver street photography workshop, and uh, and he went above and beyond the call of duty because um, he really um, helped um, with the teaching. And uh, I think everybody really uh, that was quite a bonus to have you to have you on the workshop for sure. So, uh, so what have you been up to? I've been shooting and teaching, actually. I'm catching sort of the last few rays of sun in the summer before our fall rain comes. And so I've been doing quite a few one-on-one -on -one and small group street photography workshops. And I'm actually doing a little bit of teaching right now uh, via Skype for a couple of people around the world. Fun. That's, that's good. So are they mostly... Um critiques or well what i do for my skype sessions is we we have an initial point of contact just to figure out what their goals and what their needs are and then i might do a little bit of education with them and then i give them an assignment mm -hmm. i usually give them about two weeks to go shoot it and then they submit five images from that and then we do a critique session via skype to review their work that's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, I I enjoy doing that. I I, I still do as as much as I can between travels, but uh, uh, the, the you know working with someone and opening their eyes to something that you know that they are like a mistake or whatever that they're not going to make the next time they hit the streets, and then they grow from there and it builds on. It's really gratifying. It is, and today's technology. I just love the fact that you can reach across the world and, and you can really have education that's just as impactful as traditional classroom education. Yeah. Um, my wife is a, a grade three teacher and she has her classroom Skype with classrooms in Zimbabwe and all these different countries around the world. And it's just, I really love that global community, but still being able to deliver impactful education. For sure. Yeah, that's that's so important. You can reach so many more people that wouldn't be able to come and on a workshop or, or wherever. And uh, yeah, with screen share, you know, it's just so, so easy. I've done some by phone, actually, too, where uh, the person, the, the student, you know, sends me the pictures and then we discuss them by phone. But it's it's more fun to do it, you know, with uh, the interaction on a screen for sure. It is. Yeah. yeah. And I recently, actually this week, I, get, I give a, a session locally, which I never do. It's so strange for me. It's like I was getting ready to just schedule it online. And then the, the photographer said, well, I live in Minneapolis. I'm like, oh, well, I guess we could meet then. <laughs> instead and it was just so strange because usually you know they're all across the world and this was a local photographer so that was actually kind of nice you know well yeah because you can't wear your pajamas when you're doing the fatigue <laughs> yeah and then i had to uh, actually go somewhere i felt like i was going on a to a, a an office <laughs> <laughs> a real job a real job <laughs> so well that's cool and um 
So where, well, we'll we'll give all the information where people can find out more about that uh, before the end of the show for sure. But sure. Uh, right now, let's uh, jump into the Q and A before we give the names of the winners of the last three challenge and then uh, give our picks of the week. So uh, let me read the first question and then uh, I'll have you. Take a, how do you say that? Take a stab at it? Is sure. that the expression? I'll see all those uh, new expressions that I'm trying to fit in here and there. I'm not sure if that's the most politically correct expression anymore, that's but that would definitely true. be the one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't think of that. Okay. Uh, Lee uh, asked actually a few questions. So this is the first one he asked via email. Mirrorless cameras are supposed to be quieter than DSLRs. I don't have a mirrorless camera yet. Is it your impression that mirrorless is much um, is less noisy, and by less noisy he means quieter, not noise as in grain? Along with that idea, sometimes the electronic shutter is used. This feature is not explained, but apparently very quiet. Why isn't it always used? Please explain. Okay, Ian. Yeah. So. We need to get a little bit geeky and nerdy to, okay, to talk about this one for a sec. You go right ahead. Yeah, I laughed, I laughed <laughs> when this question came up because I knew you were going to give this one to me. Um, so first of all, yes, uh, mirrorless cameras are more quiet than DSLR. And really the first part about it is it's in the name. They don't have a mirror. So for those that aren't familiar with the construction of a DSLR camera, when you look through the optical viewfinder, what you're actually looking at is light that comes through the lens. It bounces off a mirror and then a pentaprism so you can see your image in the optical viewfinder. And when you take the picture, what actually happens is that mirror has to flip out of the way so the sensor can be exposed and the picture can be captured. Mirrorless cameras don't have a mirror. And so they're are fewer mechanical moving parts. And that means there's less sound purely by that design. So that's sort of part one of my answer. Part two, uh, there are different types of mechanical shutters. Now, if you want a truly silent camera for street photography, really the best one to get is the Fuji X100T. And I don't say that just because I'm one of the ex-photographers like Valerie, but because it has what is called a leaf shutter. And leaf shutters, by virtue of their design, are silent. Um, as a matter of fact, in the X100 series that Fuji makes, they actually had to put in artificial shutter sounds that you can turn on or off. Because when those artificial sounds aren't enabled, you cannot hear the shutter click. Uh, you have to be in a totally quiet environment and put your ear right up against it to hear that mechanical shutter make a sound. And that really is the best camera, I believe, for street photography. And and that shutter, yeah, I mean, even if you're on burst mode and you're taking the picture, so you're the closest person to it, you barely hear anything. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's be it's because leaf shutters are actually in the lens of the camera, uh, pretty close to the aperture blades, as opposed to um, other types of shutters that are in the body. And that means that leaf shutters are very small and very few mechanical parts to move and they open and close differently. And, you know, like Valerie said, you can be bursting frames three feet from people and they will not hear it. It is just dead silent. And as a bonus, we can turn off all the, the lights, too. 
Yes, yes. Um, now, other mirrorless cameras use a more traditional kind of focal plane or a traditional type of mechanical shutter called a focal plane shutter. And those are larger and they do make audible sound. But in my experience, it's still less than what you would hear with an SLR. So because there's no mirror and because of different construction of different types of mechanical shutters, um, yes, mirrorless cameras are quieter. So that's kind of the first part of that question. So Ian, actually explains to me, is the X-T1 and uh, well now the new X-T2, it's, it's not using the same mechanical? People say it's, and I don't have one, it's not as silent as the X-100. So as far as I know, the X100 series is actually the only mirrorless camera that uses a leaf shutter. Oh, okay. Um, and, and the reason for that is that leaf shutters, because they're found in the lenses, not in the body of the camera, it becomes very expensive to build a system that's leaf shutter based because all of the lenses become more expensive. Okay. And so the the X Pro series, the XT series, uh, probably the Olympus Sony Panasonic cameras, they all use more of a traditional focal plane shutter that's found in the body of the camera, and that's because it's more cost effective, I'm sure, than having expensive lenses for your camera system that all have their own individual shutters. Okay, got it. But but some cameras, like I know, like the Sony Alpha, is loud. Compared oh, yeah. to uh, an Olympus, for example. Yes. So why is why is that? Is it because the way it's the camera is built, and maybe because it's more plastic versus metal, it's noisier, or what? Do you know? It, it could be. I, I don't know, and uh, it could have something to do with design. Maybe they put some type of damping in. It could be mm -hmm. the size of the shutter. Yeah. You know, in reference to the Sony. Um, a lot of the Sony mirrorless cameras are full frame, and a focal plane shutter is right in front of the sensor. So the bigger the sensor, the bigger the focal plane shutter needs to be. Yeah. And that would mean there's more mechanical parts that move when you take the picture. And to me, that would mean more sound. Yeah. Now, the only Sony I ever used um, and that I tried to use on the streets was the Alpha 6000, which is not full frame. But I was, I mean, the one thing that just driving me crazy for street photography is how loud it was. And and I've heard that from other people. It is extremely loud. It's, I yeah. mean, it's just as loud as a DSLR. And, um, and my experience with mirrorless has been purely in the Fuji system. So mm -hmm. uh, I can only compare that to my old Nikon cameras and the difference is night and day. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. 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 Um, so the second part of the question was in regard to the electronic shutter. Yes. And, and the electronic shutter... You know, this is sort of like that mythical holy grail of, of uh, photography gear. A shutter that can give you one thirty-two thousandth of a second shutter speed um, that is dead silent. Like that's sort of winning the lottery in the shutter world. But the devil is always in the details. And so with electronic shutters, the, the downfall is actually in how they capture the image. And so... The way an electronic shutter works is that it uh, records the image on the sensor line by line. And so even if you're shooting at one sixteen thousandth of a second or one thirty-two thousandth of a second, it actually takes about one tenth or one fifteenth of a second to capture that whole image. Now, if you're shooting something static, like a landscape or a still life, it doesn't really matter because what happens is that everything's stationary and the image gets captured. But if something is moving through your frame, 
because it takes the camera a 10th or a 15th of a second to scan the sensor line by line and build the image, you will get blur and distortion in your image. You will even see it with um, certain types of lighting, like fluorescent yes. lights that cycle. I learned the hard way on that one. <laughs> did you get bands across <laughs> oh, your image? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. did not know that could happen. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I actually spoke with a wedding photographer um, who contacted me because they knew I was involved in the Naros camera community. And they were distraught because they, they photographed a wedding and they thought, well, I'm in a church, so I'm going to use electronic shutter because it's silent. Oh. And, and then I'm going to use it in the reception hall. So what ended up happening was that the bride and groom were distorted as they walked quickly down the aisle for the processional. And then in the, uh, a reception hall, it was fluorescent lighting. And so the photographer ended up with bands across their photographs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, basically I, the whole wedding was ruined. Oh, uh, yeah. I I know because it doesn't matter whether you're shooting raw or a JPEG at that point. There's nothing you can do to fix that. Oh, yeah. Um, you don't get that back. Yeah. I never, I, I remember because I was shooting by window light. Um, this, uh, friend, um, this friend of mine, um, uh, has a daughter who is a ballerina. And I said, Oh, I would like to do some portraits of her just for fun, just for me, uh, by the window. And it was snowing and we could see the snow outside. And, um, I had, um, I used two cameras for that. I had my X100, um, that's always on mechanical shutter. And then uh, I had, at the time, I had an X-T1 uh, as well. And I thought, well, I may need a different focal length. So I'm going to take the X-T1 with the 50. Mm -hmm. And this one was on electronic shutter. I had never even changed it because I had never really used it much. And uh, and all the ones that I shot with the X-T1 had that band because, well, she was in window light, but they were they were lights further down the that room that were um, fluorescent, and so there was that it looked like a zebra basically. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yes. And so I so half the all the pictures shot with that lens were ruined. It didn't matter. It wasn't for a client. It was just for me. But uh, but there were some actually really really good shots that I couldn't even give her because they were um, they didn't turn out. And there's nothing you can do to fix that. So be well aware of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not that we're saying that the electronic shutter is bad, but it's it's that whole thing about, I guess, read your manual, right, mm -hmm. that none of us do. And, and there's a time and a place where the electronic shutter can be extremely valuable. I was shooting a portrait session recently, and it was very, very bright ambient light. And I wanted to shoot at a very shallow depth of field. I think I shot it at 1.2 or 1.8. And because of that, I used the electronic shutter. I shot it at probably one sixteen thousandth of a second. And I had my portrait subject stay very still while I captured the image. And it's fine. It worked great. But you have to know its benefits and you have to know its limitations. Yeah. And but the the light, um, the artificial light thing really caught caught me off guard. I did not know that could cause that. Yes. Uh, and I think very few people are aware of that. So it's good that we point out because some people may think, oh, there's something that's defective. My lens is defective. You know, I, I really, it took me a while to figure out what it was. Yes. Um, and I thought it was, um, I knew it wasn't something I did wrong, but I thought it came from the lens. I didn't think it came from the shutter. So. And I, I have learned through other people's pain. I've been fortunate enough and Lord knows I've made enough 
mistakes in my life, but I've been fortunate enough to avoid that one because I happen to see it happen to other people online first. And imagine what a nightmare, because you don't, it, it doesn't show on your LCD. So a nightmare when you come back from shooting a wedding and all the pictures that were shot in that one room have those bands. I can't even imagine. Yes. Now my, my, um, Sometimes there's happy accidents and I'm actually thinking about a student that took a photo in your Vancouver workshop and he had a incredibly beautifully composed photograph of a gentleman sitting on a bench shot from behind with a bus pulling away in front of him. And I love the photograph. It was a very open um, composition. There was a lot of negative space, but it was really interesting because the bus got distorted. The student clearly had yes, used the electronic shutter and the bus got distorted, but it was almost like it was a rocket taking off the way the <laughs> distortion happened. And I thought, wow, it worked there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, not something you want to experiment on a client. No. <laughs> So, you know, my answer at the end of the day to to the original question asker would, would pretty much be, you know, always decide on the purpose of, of your photography and then get the gear that works well for you. Um, and maybe that is a mirrorless camera. Maybe that's the X100T. Maybe that is uh, another mirrorless camera. But do your homework and get the one. Um, that fits your shooting environment. And it sounds like in the, the case of this person, um, a silent shutter is definitely a priority. Yes, for sure. Well, great. Well, I'm not, I have nothing to add to that because that was a great explanation. And thank you so much, Ian, for, uh, for, for, for exp explaining this so clearly. So now Lee sent another question by email. Do you want to read it? Absolutely. And there's a couple of pieces here. So Lee says or asks, how do you prevent or do you care when your photographs are used without permission? What measures can be taken to ensure you are at least given credit? And then there's sort of a third part that just talks about maybe because your photo is uploaded online or lower resolution. I think he's asking if it's just not as much of a concern. Okay. Well, I can start on this one. Um, well, I do care, but... I don't think we can prevent it. Um, f at the beginning, you know, like most photographers, I would put a big old watermark on my pictures. And then I realize and I look back a few years back and I thought, oh, gosh, this thing is so distracting and so ugly, even on some old blog posts. And then uh, so for a while, I stopped watermarking completely. And then I started seeing my pictures appear on other people's website as their own or blogs or uh, people would point out like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's your picture. And then, well, the metadata is still there, but I'm pretty sure that's your picture. And then it's on somebody else's portfolio. So that hurts a little bit, I would say. Uh, so I started putting a teeny tiny watermark again on my pictures, which is very, very unobtrusive. You really have to look for it. It's not like you can't, rem I mean, people could remove it. Uh, you can remove it any even big watermark if you really want to. But um, it's a little bit, you know, more of a deterrent than anything else. Uh, and I find that it, you know, it doesn't uh, distract from the photograph, which some of my old watermarks I thought were, I mean, although they were at the bottom, but they're still a little too big. Uh, what bugs me when I see uh, watermarks right in the middle of a picture. <laughs> I just want to scream. Oh, but, yeah. uh, but so you cannot prevent it. Dishonest people will always be dishonest. Honest people will be honest. And that's just the way the world is. Yeah. Um, 
But very often, so the thing is, I'm always very impressed how many times people actually reach out to me. And that happens several times a week where people reach out to me and ask permission to use my picture either for a presentation or to paint. Very often, uh, people want to paint my photograph. And um, so I figured, wow, if I actually get that many requests for permission, I wonder actually how many people use them without permission, because I'm sure the percentage is much, much higher. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm already so pleased when people ask. And uh, and several times, you know, painters especially say, oh, yeah, but, uh, you know, please feel free to uh, to paint it. I would just love to see the result, you know, and, and it's always fun to see somebody's interpretation of the, the scene that you photograph into a painting. And, uh, and I've, 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 I've seen many of my pictures and paintings, which I always find really, really interesting. Um, people giving you credit. I mean, often people will, uh, there is just blatant copyright infringement out there which i could pursue but you know you have to choose your battles are you going to get anything out of it <laughs> most likely not and the stress of going through that uh and the time uh required for just some you know average person just using your picture on their site is it really worth it you have to choose your battles uh now if i see my picture on a billboard i will definitely get a lawyer involved <laughs> And I will get a lot of money out of it. But uh, yes, my pictures are low res online and on the web uh, because that I think that only makes sense. Um, they, I mean, copyright, I mean, whether you have a watermark or no watermark, you're the copyright owner of the picture. It doesn't make a difference. The copyright, the watermark doesn't protect you any more than if it's not there. That's so right. it's false sense of, of, of security. You don't have any more rights to that picture with or without. I mean, it's you have all rights to that picture. It doesn't make it more or, or, or not with that watermark on there. That's usually more to so that people know where the picture is coming from when they see it somewhere else. But um, yeah, I guess you can make a living <laughs> out of copyright infringement, probably, if that's the path you choose to take. It is not what I want to waste my energy on. I just want to, you know, educate and um, hopefully inspire. And I try not to get too angry at this kind of thing. How about you, Ian? You, well, you know, that last part you said about wasting your energy, to me, that's really it. I mean, I had a conversation with a photographer that reached out to me last month about this because um, they found that some of their work had been taken without the permission and they were crushed by it. I mean, soul crushing pain. And, you know, here's my thing. If you put it on the internet, it can be taken. Mm -hmm. End of story. There is absolutely no mechanism that will prevent a person from taking your picture without your permission if they so desire. So you have to accept that as soon as you put work online. There are no technological barriers that keep your photographs safe. And, you know, even if you could put the fanciest programming into a website to prevent it, all they have to do is do a screen capture. And guess what? They have your picture again. Yeah. So, so knowing that, you really have to decide, okay, how much 
emotional energy am I going to invest into this if I find out that one of my pictures has been taken? Um, there are services, you know, Google has a reverse image search and there's a website called TinEye where you can actually feed it your image or the URL of your image and it will look and see if your image is being used in other parts of the internet. Yes, you have to have thick skin to start doing that though because well, you will get angry. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and here's the thing, right? If I had a choice between going out and taking pictures or working with one of my students or spending three hours a day searching the internet for copyright infringement, I'm sorry, but I don't need the chest pain or the high blood pressure. I'd rather go make new pictures. That Oh, that is so, so right. And it it's the same with uh, written text. I mean, I had one of my articles was taken, translated, and they didn't use the pictures that I had to... Um, to illustrate it, but the photographer, who is a photographer I knew and respected, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually shot similar compositions to illustrate the article. I mean, you could definitely see that it was that they, they just copied pretty much the same idea, the same composition and tried to replicate as close as they could with the, tra the, the article translated in their language word for word and put their name as the author. Yes. I saw this because I subscribed to their blog. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just had to laugh. I I and this person actually had just quit their their job to become a full-time photography educator and I yep. simply sent an email and said if you're planning on making a living it maybe it's a good time that it's a good it be a good thing that you start by creating your own material. What was their reaction? And uh, they were mortified, mortified. And I felt that was, you know, I would never go public on something like that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was, I felt bad for that person, actually, that she got busted by the owner and the author of the original article. And uh, I'm sure that photographer lost a few nights sleep over it. I mean, yep. that's how, and that was punishment enough for me. You know, I didn't want to ruin their, ruin their, um, their, their, their dream of becoming a full working photographer. But I wanted to make a statement. It's like, you know what, this is not going to work. If you're planning on actually becoming an educator, you know, create your own uh, material. Don't steal somebody Absolutely. else's ideas. I mean, nothing is new. Everybody, everything has been said, but at least put your own twist to it. Just don't, yes. don't just copy and paste and put your name as the author. And, you know, for me, I've had this happen to me several times. And uh, two of the times it happened, the people took my photograph purely because of they were writing a travel article and a photograph I had taken from one of my mm -hmm. travels illustrated something in their article well. And when I, I sent them an email about it, they were they were actually mortified. But it was actually just because they didn't know you couldn't just go grab photographs off yeah. the internet. And, and we had a very good conversation about it. And, you know, one time... Uh, one time I did pursue legal action on a photograph and, uh, but you really have to make a decision about how much time and money do I want to invest? Because when you're protecting, uh, you know, something from copyright infringement and you're getting lawyers involved, it gets very expensive. And because of the global community of the internet, now you're pursuing, uh, legal action potentially across international borders. And so you really just need to make a decision on, do I feel the reward is worth the battle that I'm about to fight? Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, that's really, and we had a, a legal special 
on street focus so I would definitely urge people to go back to that maybe I should have those guys again uh, on the show to answer some questions but uh, yeah it's about find you know what is your goal is your goal about sharing or is it about you know picking a fight every time somebody is gonna use your picture for this or that and as you said yes half the time people have no idea they're not supposed to do that um a lot of students you know will use the picture and they don't know they're supposed to ask permission i see my picture on people's uh uh facebook banner or profile (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, technically you're not supposed to do that either but you know what am i going to do spend the day just you know writing people said, you know, could you remove this? It's like, no. So, yeah. yeah, To to an extent, it's sort of like sticking fingers into holes in the dam, trying to stop the water from bursting through, right? And like you say, you pick your battles, you chase the important ones, you chase the ones that have financial implications. And then you just try to educate people apart from that, right? Yeah, because obviously those people end up making any money out of doing that. What am I going to get out of them? You know, and uh and at least it means that they like the picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's a compliment. In a way it is. So, uh, but I'll put the link to the, the show that we, the legal special we had on Street Focus to this. And then I'll, I'll look into, uh, uh, getting some questions from the audience to, uh, do another legal special to answer new questions for sure. Excellent. Awesome. Okay, I'll, uh, we have time for one last question if we don't spend too much time on it, which I think okay. might be tough because there's <laughs> a lot to say on this one. Uh, Clovis Rosa via the Street Focus uh, Facebook group uh, asked, uh, I'd like to, uh, I would like to ask you to recommend a start kit for who is doing the first step through street photography, such as books, Movies, documentaries, and names of some street photographer I should know. So, uh, go ahead. We'll try to keep it brief. Yes, and actually, uh, I was going to say, I think I can keep it brief, but who are we kidding? Um, So, you know, the biggest thing I would say for this, I'm not going to give an itemized list, um, but I'll definitely throw out some ideas. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that street photography is probably the most difficult genre of photography to start in. Um, one of the things I see with my students, and I'm sure you see it with yours, is quite often they feel that it's going to be really easy to go out on the streets and take <laughs> yeah. photographs. And they quickly realize that it's it's not always as easy. So I definitely applaud um, this, this questioner for wanting to have a, a compass point to start from. Um, you know, I, I will definitely recommend, and it's not just because I'm on your podcast, but I will definitely recommend your uh, book, your Thank ebook. You. Um It is uh, very well laid out Uh, and funny story, which I mean, you and I have talked a lot, Valerie, but I've never told you this. Uh, One of the books that I'm writing right now is my book on how to do street photography. And I actually read yours and I'm like, oh, crap, now I have to change some of my stuff (laughs) because you had it in your book. And I don't want mine to publish and go, oh, well, you just got that from Valerie. Um, So your book is one. But as a starting point, I definitely... Uh, don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So I would direct this person to a street photographer named Eric Kim. And Eric Kim's website is erickimphotography.com. And the thing about Eric, um, some people love Eric, some people hate on Eric. Eric is this young gentleman who has really poured his heart and soul into talking about street photography over the last five years or so. And he has amassed hundreds of blog articles. Mm -hmm. He has 10 or 15 free eBooks on his website on street photography. And on his YouTube channel, he has dozens, if not hundreds of videos, including a series 
on weekly lectures called Introduction to Street Photography. And through that knowledge base, you will get directed to all sorts of different street photographers that you can go look at in terms of names for inspiration. Um, you'll definitely come across names like uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson. I don't know. How did I pronounce that? Was yes, it okay? Pretty good. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, there's a gentleman out of Japan uh, named Moriyama, uh, Daido Moriyama. You'll probably hear the name Bruce Gilden. And you know, the one thing I'll caution uh, the, the listener on is that when you get directed to all these different street photographers, by all means, study their work to become inspired, but always recognize that there's a very thin line between inspiration or copying somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I don't go around looking at a ton of the master's work. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I find that the more I shoot on the street, the more my style evolves naturally by itself. Totally. My, fa my favorite street photographer is actually a gentleman from Vancouver named Fred Herzog, who makes incredible work. I mean, Fred's got to be in his 80s now and he's still out shooting. Um, but he's got catalogs of work from the 1950s and 60s and 70s. And I adore his images, but none of my photos look like Fred's. I just get inspired by them. And then I go out and I shoot. And think of street photography like a process or, or it's a verb. It's an action. You have to go out and do it. You can read a lot of books. You can watch a lot of YouTube videos, but it's on the street where you will definitely find your groove. Um, the only other two things I'll mention on this fairly quickly, um, another source you can go to is definitely a gentleman named uh, a very Perlello, and he has something called the candid frame and he does excellent YouTube videos on topics. So he'll take five or six different images that are along a theme like lighting or shadows or silhouettes. And then he will do these 15 minute YouTube videos talking about them. And I find them to be incredibly educational. Mm -hmm. uh, the last piece I'll say on it is take a workshop. You know, as an educator and as a student, workshops will accelerate your learning curve dramatically. And in my private workshops that I do, they're six hours long, and I'm blown away by the growth in my students from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So if you have that opportunity, uh, it's worth the financial investment. For and sure. that's really all I've got for that question. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I would also recommend... Um a few documentaries that are really inspiring. Um, well, the, the Finding Vivian Meyer, uh, Everybody's Street. Uh, what's the one with Saul Leiter? And that's going to oh. be my, my pick of the week, actually. It's excellent. Uh, yes. Um, what is it called? In No Hurry. So there are a lot of really good documentaries out there that can inspire you as well. Um, also, check out The Street Hunters. Um, um, group um, and uh, Street Photography Magazine, which is online. So there are a lot of different things. I also have some tutorials on my YouTube channel. So check that out. Some, you know, as much, as many tips as you can gather. But yes, it is important. I don't spend a whole lot of time looking at the masters either because I follow my own vision. I, and, and uh, I don't, I, it's the world it's it's the it's the streets that inspire me it's not yes. somebody else's work so much uh, i mean i appreciate it and i love looking at those images but um not to give me inspiration for what i'm going to shoot next that's not at all the point i uh, totally follow my own uh, my own voice really and that's how you're going to to find your voice and your vision is by being out there and uh, and challenging yourself that's right i totally mm -hmm. agree 
Great. Well, I think that answers it. And now we're going to announce the winners of the last street challenge, which was Smile of a Stranger. And guess what? We picked the same winner. <laughs> Do you want yes, to talk about the, about definitely the clearly winner in this, uh, in, in this challenge? And there were a lot of great smiles. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were a lot of beautiful photographs of, of, strangers with beautiful smiles but this one kind of had a twist to it uh, absolutely ian tell us so the winner and oh i hope i don't butcher the name is from somebody called mayan porat mm-hmm. would you say that's the pronunciation that's how i would say it too yeah. okay good enough let us know if we were wrong um and it's a, a photograph that's kind of entitled caught in the mirror and this photograph for those of you that haven't seen it, it it's an incredibly deep photographs. So imagine looking at the subject from behind. So you see their back and they're clearly standing indoors, looking out through a window and along the ledge of the window, there's a mirror. And so what you actually see is the subject's back. And then the next thing you see in the frame is the subject's face in the mirror with a glorious, beautiful smile. Mm -hmm. And so right out of the gate, that caught my eye. But when you look deeper into the photograph, you see out the window at a car going down the street. And then behind that, you see, you know, the trees and the buildings across the street. And what I love about this photograph is my eye goes immediately to the subject who is smiling beautifully but when your eye goes around the frame there are four or five layers in this photograph that you could just spend minutes looking at it's a beautifully composed photograph it is yeah for for so many reasons yeah definitely it just stood out right away Mm -hmm. and rightly so we both picked it as our winner and uh our our second second prize which is the same prize you they will each get to pick a book from um, the collection at our friends at uh, from our friends at Rocky Duck is Hans Eckert, and uh, it's a beautiful smile um, of a stranger. It's a color shot, right, Ian? Yes. And yeah, I'm uh, looking at it right now. Of an older gentleman, and I don't remember. Does it say where it was shot? No, but you know. This photograph, it looks like Santa Claus on vacation. <laughs> yeah. he's, it's a big, jovial guy. He's got the bushy beard. He's got his glasses pulled down to the tip of his nose. He's got like a Hawaiian shirt on. But he's smiling with his eyes. Like yeah. his whole face is showing pure joy. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful smile. But again, there were a lot of beautiful smile. Um, a, a lot of uh, another one that we thought was re- that just cracked us up was the one by Bob Bonds. Uh, the donut uh, photo was yes. really fun. So there were a lot of uh, a lot of good good shots. So I think uh, everybody had a, a, a fun uh, fun time um, on on this challenge. So um, Mayan and Hans will each receive a book from our friends at Rocky Nook. Congratulations! Okay, picks of the week. Ian, what do you have for us? So I have something a little bit different, which seems to be my theme this week. Um, So there's a photographer named Chase Jarvis, and most people will be familiar with Chase. He's a very famous commercial Mm -hmm. photographer and social media kind of guy. He also started a company called Creative Live, which is probably one of the biggest photography education companies in the world now. So Chase has a series that he did with Creative Live, and it's all free. It's all on YouTube, and it's called 30 Days of Genius. 
And what Chase did was he spent an hour interviewing, an hour with each subject, but people like Richard Branson from Virgin, um, Brandon Stanton from Humans of New York, like all of these people that have achieved huge success in their, their chosen life path. And the conversations are very free flowing. They, they talk about where they started. They talk about um, their motivations, challenges, obstacles, barriers, how they got around those barriers. And there's a common theme throughout all of these conversations about how these people used creativity, both as inspiration, but also to guide their business decisions. And I love these interviews. They inspire me, but there's also a direct correlation to anybody that's out there trying to make a path as a creative and as a photographer, because you probably are experiencing similar challenges, maybe not on the same scale, but you're probably going through similar things. And there is so many uh, there are so many pearls of wisdom throughout these yep. interviews that you will find are directly applicable to what you have going on in your life. Yeah, it's a little bit like the TED Talks. You know, I think it, after every one, there is a, a nugget of information that could potentially be life changing. Absolutely. Uh, that will, you know, make you think and say, oh, maybe I should try that or do this differently. And I could make a huge difference. So uh, I you know, wherever you can get inspiration. Yeah, it doesn't have to be in, in photography to make a big difference. That's for sure. Yep. It's a great tip. And, and what do you have? Mine is the documentary by Thomas Leach, the In No Great Hurry, 13 Lessons in Life with Saul Leiter. Um, and I just mentioned it um, <laughs> in the, earlier in, the, in question number three. It's a beautiful documentary about an amazing photographer who passed away actually very shortly after the documentary was done. And um, it, it will touch your heart. Uh, it really is beautiful. Have you seen it, Ian? I have not. Oh, oh. wait. Mm, I don't know. I don't you think would, I have. You would remember. And uh, so it's available. Uh, well, I got it on iTunes. I actually purchased, purchased it for $9.99, but you can rent it for $3.99 as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably available through other... Um, uh, in other ways as well, uh, I just go on iTunes. I find it convenient, goes onto my tablet, and I can watch it right away. So, yes, <laughs> uh, highly recommend it. In no great hurry, 13 lessons in life with Saul Leiter, amazing photographer, all about Excellent. color. So great. Well, that was a good show. Ian, do you have any uh, announcements for us? You know, I don't actually. I am just like I say, I'm running out the clock on our good weather up here in the Pacific Northwest. So if anybody in the Vancouver area is looking for any street photography education, I still have a bit of time for that. And apart from that, I'm just doing a lot of writing right now. I have an article in this month's Food You Love magazine. Um, I've got an article coming out on the 53 millimeter website. And actually, uh, Fuji UK publishes their digital um, Fuji magazine that you can get on the iPad. And I have an article coming out in that probably at the end of this month also. Awesome. Very good. Well, congratulations. And uh, so big changes happening for you. So I wish you yes. all, all the best for that. And as for me, um, not, well, either too much to announce or <laughs> I don't even know where to start. So just a quick heads up that there's still a few spots on the weekend street photography workshops in Paris in 2017, uh, which are a lot of fun. I mean, some of those will have 10 people from eight different countries and uh, the workshops are all in English. Um, a lot of Europeans on the weekend workshops, whereas the week long, um, a lot more people from Australia 
Australia and the US and Canada and so forth. But uh, the weekends, completely different dynamic and it's purely street photography. So I have three weekends with limited spots open still for next year, as well as a couple spots left for Amsterdam for three day workshop. That one is uh, street photography in April. So grab those and uh, I will probably announce a couple more workshops for next year uh, soon. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people go to see more of your work and get a hold of you if they happen to be in your neck of the wood? So my website is ianmacdonaldphotography.com. Uh, MacDonald, M-A-C. Uh, on Instagram, uh, where I'm very active, uh, my Instagram handle is Ian McDonald Photography. And on Twitter, I'm at Ian M Photography. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. And we're at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Uh, and please uh, don't forget to leave a rating and share the show on social media. That would really mean a lot to me. My name is Valérie Jardin, and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab your camera and hit the streets. Hit the streets.